innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend, I elevate it Make it way harder for them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff, rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight! So we're with Miha Perhavitz. He's one of the best brown belts in the world, one of the people behind Yoga for BJJ. He's trained with and filmed videos with some of the best and uh, most accomplished jiu-jitsu artists in the world and is currently on a road trip uh, traveling and training. And we're happy to have him in North Carolina and on the podcast. Welcome, uh, Mia. Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. Hi, Mia. What do you think of North Carolina so far? Uh, North Carolina has been great. So when I got here, I had no expectations because I didn't know what it's like at all. And I'm really pleasantly surprised. Everyone seems to be super nice, and I'm really enjoying my stay so far. So you're about to teach a seminar on footlocks tomorrow, and you've gotten to train at a couple of the gyms in the area, mm -hmm. Triangle Jiu-Jitsu and Elevate MMA. Um, what do you think of the style of Jiu-Jitsu that you've been, you've had, got the chance to roll with a mm -hmm. bunch of people from white to black belt? Yeah. And what, what, what are you noticing? I'm noticing uh, the... There's a little style difference between the schools based on what they do. So MMA schools pretty much everywhere. They have tough nogi guys. And, uh, for example, at Toro, you have a bit more of a self-defense aspect to it and more, more of a geese style. So, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing what I see pretty much everywhere, everywhere else, just good sparrings everywhere. And so I definitely want to get into, and I know Lourdes definitely wants to get into talking to you about your road trip, mm -hmm. but uh, as a, by way of a segue, um, before you came here, you competed at the Atlanta Open, where mm -hmm. you won gold medal in your weight mm -hmm. class. And so how did you come to decide you wanted to compete in Atlanta, and what was turn competing at that tournament like? Um, yeah, so I was, staying, I was staying in L.A., and I did the L.A. Open there. Uh, I got bronze. It didn't really go according, according to plan, but I, I knew that I was going to come here to teach the seminar. So I said, if I'm, going, if I'm going east, I might as well stop in Atlanta first and do the competition and then fly up here. Yeah. And so you, uh, I understand that you met, you know, so right now, for the listeners mm -hmm. that don't know, you're in the midst of a year-long experience mm -hmm. where you've, you've left, you were training in Dublin for a couple yep. of years, and now you're just kind of traveling and training all over. Yeah, exactly. So uh, my girlfriend, who's traveling with me and I, we, um, we decided that we're going to do what everyone wants to do, but very few people actually do it. So at the, uh, at the end of October... We let our lease expire on our apartment there, and we put a bunch of stuff in storage, which was actually a really nice experience because I feel uh, I'm going <laughs> to probably segue a little bit into something else, but uh, really shortly, um, what happens, I think, especially at my age, is a lot of people start buying houses, settling down, uh, getting, getting just more stuck in one place, and they start acquiring stuff, and I really didn't want to do that, so... This was an opportunity as well to give away pretty much anything that doesn't fit in a 50-pound suitcase and in a backpack, and we only own that at the moment. And that's kind of liberating. So that was one of the reasons we decided to do it, and just to get a lot of traveling done at once. So we put everything uh, in storage there, 
and flew back home to see our parents because they would probably be very mad if we didn't do that. Yeah, and then we started we started the trip in uh, the beginning of November. Uh, we went to Miami first, spent the week there. I trained at Fight Sports uh, at Cyborg's Gym, which was nice. And then we went to Costa Rica, which was one of our um, preferred destinations. We kind of wanted to go to Costa Rica because we heard so much good stuff about it. And I knew some people who do jiu-jitsu there. We went there and we stayed for a month. And then we went to San Diego uh, because I'm, I'm collaborating a little bit with Kenan Cornelius right now, which is kind of kind of crazy. Uh, and awesome at the same time. So I got to train at Atos there. Uh, then we went to LA where I met my, my friend Kit Dale, trained with him at this uh, gym called Jog Center. And yeah, then Atlanta, and now we're here. And next we're going to go to San Francisco, then Oregon, uh, meeting up with the Adamson bros there. Um, and then probably back to San Diego really quickly, back to LA, and then we actually have to legally leave america because we've been here for 90 days so we're gonna head uh west to either australia or asia probably australia so how is it that you're traveling right now are you are you getting a chance to maybe take um the trains are you busing it do you are you have you rented an rv like how are you getting across the united states we're we're flying pretty much everywhere uh there's (laughs) there's a silly thing that i did that i actually have to have to correct so I forgot to get my international driver's license uh, and take it with me. So when I was renting a car in San Diego, what actually happened was due to a really small technicality, they wouldn't actually rent, let me rent a car. So I, I actually used this app called Turo, which is kind of like Airbnb for cars, and uh, got a car there. But we're flying mostly because it's not hard today to get uh, good tickets and if you're going far it makes more sense to fly but I have a really really adverse relationship to sitting and I hate to sit for long periods of times which is unavoidable when you're when you're driving so if if there's from Atlanta to North Carolina it's uh, a six-hour drive right or a one and a half hour flight so I'm more than happy to pay a little bit more to get the sitting out of the way faster. One of the one of the big questions I have about traveling because mm-hmm. when you're traveling, like okay, I, I, the ability to be able to eat healthy and mm-hmm. clean when you're traveling mm-hmm. can sometimes be a challenge. And I know yeah. on your website you um, were talking about the hashtag #ELYWTSP, which <laughs> is eat like you want to smash people. Yeah, and um, <laughs> which I think is kind of awesome. But can you tell me um, how you eat? healthy and how you're able to maintain like your your Mm -hmm. eating diet while you're traveling yeah so um i'm not i'm never really on a diet anymore these days because my weight class medium heavy i'm I'm a little bit under so i have like i don't know a five pound window Mm -hmm. it's i think i have a pretty good metabolism as well so it's very hard for me to to put on weight i i never really feel myself get super out of shape or anything because I've shifted my um, my nutrition to just uh, include some principles that I learned when I had when I started jiu-jitsu and I had to cut weight. So then I was doing a lot of a lot of research. What kind of food should I eat and what kind of timing should I should I have with my food? So I, I learned a lot of stuff back then just by researching it, like I do with other areas as well. And I just found that I don't know. For example, high glycemic index carbs like sugar and stuff like that, you can eat it, but 
after training. So I, I just I just do that instead of doing something silly like having a bowl of cereal first thing in the morning. And I also like to include a lot of um, healthy fats into my diet. Sometimes I just start my day, for example, with a with a cup of uh, bulletproof type coffee with some MCT oil, some coconut oil. Uh, maybe some mushrooms as well. Those uh, Four Sigmatic has a has a good packet of mushrooms that are good for energy, like cordyceps mushrooms. So I put that in, make a little shake, and then sometimes I can drink that at nine nine a.m. and I'm good to go until like one, and then then I eat something. But yeah, it's not really a diet. I just I just try to eat healthy and be as disciplined as possible. And if I'm not disciplined, I try to make sure that it's after a hard training so that I feel like my body uses that for recovery. So when you're traveling, are you mm -hmm. finding that you and Emma are like hitting more grocery stores or like uh, in, in the land of McDonald's, how are you? We, we're just like, I hope to get sponsored by Whole Foods one day because I'm going <laughs> to give them, I'm going to give them a big promo. Yeah, but we, I mean, America's like, you have some of the, junkiest food you can you can find and you also have some of the best food you can find so right now we we just try to go to the best possible places sometimes it's financially almost a tiny bit irresponsible because like for example when we were in west hollywood they had this they had many amazing places but they charge like 13 bucks for a smoothie and i'm like okay cool it's really healthy let's go let's go for that or whatever but but yeah we it's pretty easy to find to find healthy food if there's no options. Uh, but we have a place to cook food, then we just go to a grocery store, buy some vegetables, and yeah, cook, cook from go from there. You mentioned training with the accomplished Australian black belt Kit Dale. Mm -hmm. Videos with him. Um, you one where one area in which you outpace Kit Dale is kombucha. Mm. Um, how bad is Kit Dale at kombucha? Kit Dale. <laughs> Kiddale is pretty terrible at kombucha. Like he drinks a lot of it, but he drinks only one one type. He drinks Trilogy by uh, Synergy Kombucha, which mm -hmm. is, in my opinion, one of the worst kombuchas out there. <laughs> and I love to give him. I love to talk smack on Instagram at the moment, Adam, because of that. Because I feel superior in kombucha enthusiasm to him because we uh, emma and i we love uh, small batch kombuchas we we try to go for the fanciest kinds i would never just drink the same kind of kombucha over and over like kit does what are your top five kombuchas that you've had oh uh it's it kind of varies but i'm a big fan of the health aid brand They've got some really good ones. The, probably the reishi chocolate one I like a lot, and the one that has mangosteen in it. And I don't know, I don't know the the brand that you guys have here. I think it's called Bucci or something like that. North Carolina Kombucha. Yeah, Bucci. The, those are really good too. So, yeah, we don't really discriminate too much. Um, there's one called Morning Glory as well. I don't know which which brand it is exactly, but it's it's really good. Yeah, we drink an irresponsible amount of kombucha. <laughs> If you like watching amazing jiu-jitsu matches and supporting people in your community, you need to go to Toro Cup 9 on April 14th at the Cage Side Warehouse, 124 Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina. You need to go out there because it's going to support Hubao Karaoke's medical fund. The local black belt had a stroke this year, and we're raising money to help support his recovery. Additionally, it's James Boomer Hogaboom's birthday that day, and if you know Boomer, the owner of Cage Side MMA and one of the brains behind Toro BJJ, does a lot to support the local scene, so get out here and have Boomer have a good 
birthday as well. That's Toro Cup 9, April 14th at the Cage Side Warehouse, 124 Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina. And if you want to match on the card, contact John Bagels Telford. Can you tell me what one of the favorite things about traveling and meeting other Jujiteros has been for you guys? Kicking their ass, mostly. <laughs> no, uh, that would be a little bit of a crazy statement to make because I did train at some places where I thoroughly got my ass kicked. But it's it's the sense of uh, sense of community that that exists within jiu-jitsu that I haven't met, I haven't seen anywhere else really. So, I've had experiences where. I would come either to someone's gym or even to to stay at someone's uh, someone's apartment, and even though I I didn't really know the person for for years, it sure felt sure felt like like I did. So just meet uh, an incredible amount of cool people who are on the same wave wavelength as you, and you can uh, talk to them, relate to them, and just have fun pretty much anywhere that we go. And that's that's one of my favorite things. The second would be to train at as many different gyms as possible because I, I absolutely love training back home in, in Ireland at East Coast Jiu-Jitsu and uh, I love the guys there. The the coach there, O'Connell, is one of the best coaches that I've ever seen and uh, the only thing I didn't, I didn't like is that it's a normal thing but you roll with the same people over and over so what you get is a type of role where it's very hard to be surprised so when I when I travel a lot, I get so many different people people to roll with, and you kind of see where jujitsu, where your jujitsu is. The best the best way to test that is competition, but competition is a little bit different than rolling as well. Some people compete up, some people compete down. Uh, I definitely think it's one of the best things you can do, but you can just go to gyms and you have five rounds against brown black belts, and you kind of see where your jujitsu stacks up and where where uh, theirs is and my favorite part of that is that it's almost natural when you go to a gym and you're an outsider and especially if you're a higher belt there's a giant target on your back and some people hate that I absolutely love that because I'm a very competitive person so if someone comes at me super hard I go super hard right back at them uh, and we have really high quality roles because when you're traveling, sometimes, some days, you're forced to take a break by way of just being on a plane or time difference messing you up and not being able to get to training. So every opportunity that I get for a hard roll, I, I take. So it sounds like you're training with a, a lot of different people in the mm -hmm. United States. And one of the things that we talked about before we went on the air was um, was the, this this book that you had read called mm -hmm. Persuasion and yeah. the ability to, um, I, I guess, be – well, why don't you explain it? Yeah, so uh, this book that I'm reading talks about – it's from a sa the same author. I think it's Robert Caldini or something like that who wrote on influence and how to – present your ideas so that they can be accepted. You kind of set the stage for them to be uh, accepted. And one uh, one of the chapters talks about the sense of community that people feel towards each other. And it's, uh, I think, a subconscious governing factor of human relations. And the, the thing that I've seen in jiu-jitsu is that everyone is on the same kind of wavelength. So it's kind of like we're rooting for the same team. We... When you f when you meet someone like I can be walking down the street and if I see someone in a jujitsu t-shirt at least I say oh man what's up where do you train how how, how are you because the the likelihood of that person being 
like what what's this guy doing what's going on and instead of being like oh man this guy trains jiu-jitsu too that's so cool i'm gonna talk to him it's like really really low so uh i think everyone in jiu-jitsu has this sense of of belonging to to the community how do you think that sense of community and familiarity mm-hmm. um affects uh people when they're when they go to compete because it can be sometimes hard mm-hmm. to compete against like a teammate like you, you yeah you see people not doing that as um sometimes they'll just bow out but mm-hmm. um how do you compete against somebody that maybe um had invited you to their home and had fed you and now yeah. you guys are on the mat to be honest i i don't actually recall something like that happening too many times i'm sure it did a few times but at, especially at brown belt and above level pretty much all of the people are professionals in a sense so i i look at it like we're playing a chess game so i'm not gonna if i if i win or lose nothing nothing's really changed for me it's a little bit awkward sometimes i actually i, I remember now yeah, i had this sub only competition in in ireland recently and i had to fight my teammate in the finals and there was no no option of bowing out because there was a, a cash prize involved and it was the the finals of the tournament so we had to fight and like i don't feel anything changed it was a little bit awkward like we were in the same changing changing room warming up but there there's nothing because because there's just a level of respect between between people i think that that get to compete at a high level where you, you just understand that it's like i think it's kind of like i don't know maybe football or, or soccer players they play for one team and then they switch teams and then they play against the other team it's normally just just a, a game really hey betsy o'donovan yes chefcha this time i have a question for you oh my goodness so as you recall you did a jiu-jitsu tournament mm-hmm. what did you wear for that first jiu-jitsu tournament so uh funny you should ask Chrissy Lindsay likes to tease me about this. Uh, at my first U.S. grappling tournament, um, I wore a sundress, a blue linen sundress for my weigh-in. And I walked up with my big jujitsu bag with my gi in it. And Chrissy Lindsay looked at me and just said, wow, what are you wearing? <laughs> was it a pearl weave sundress, a single weave sundress, or a technical weave sundress? Well, it was my travel sundress. And it was strapless because you don't want to give people a collar to choke you with uh, when you're weighing in at a jiu-jitsu tournament. But uh, one of the reasons I love that story is um, Chrissy and Brian Lindsay and the whole team at U.S. Grappling do such a good job making even total newcomers who have no idea what they're doing feel comfortable and welcomed and at home when they show up for their first tournament. Uh, So I don't know if you are just starting out competing or if you've been doing it forever, uh, but... I would encourage you guys to start out at a U.S. grappling tournament, um, and there's a great one coming up Saturday, March 3rd at the Raleigh Convention Center, and you can uh, get those early registration uh, price breaks until Friday, February 23rd. Whether it's your first tournament or your 100th, you'll have a good experience at U.S. grappling. Register online at usgrappling.com. Thanks for supporting the folks who support us. All right. So you mentioned you've already traveled even just three months in mm-hmm. and trained at some of the best gyms around, including yeah. Atos headquarters. You know, San Diego is so full of great jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Who are some of the toughest roles that you've had? Who have you been really impressed by? And like, oh, I'm really got, glad I got the chance to roll with that person. I think 
yeah, probably Atos was was the spot um, for that because it's literally the best gym in the world. Like they have the they have two world championships, first place uh, places to to show for. So I think I think there I got just so many roles. I got to roll with Keenan multiple times, Lucas Barbosa, Josh Hinger, and then also I got to roll. I, I I don't want to miss ever anyone. Of course, I I actually rolled with Ander Galvao too, which was which was awesome. And there's a bunch of brown belts there, and so I I rolled with Dominic Bell. He's literally the best person in my division. That was really really a good experience. I rolled with uh, Kane and Duarte as well, who's probably the absolute best brown belt in the world. So the level of training there was just amazing. And yeah, um, if you go to a smaller gym. And you beat up people there, and then you come to Atos. It's a very positive, humbling, humbling experience that you definitely need. So I really, really enjoyed that. And I was rolling with purple belts there that, that were giving me everything I could handle. Like it was, it was intense. Even, even the blue belts there, I feel like, I feel like everyone is a level above their belt, but not in a sandbagger way, just in a in a quality, quality way. And I've I've trained at a lot of good gyms. And I think Atos was probably the best environment out of uh, outside of Danaher's, but that's uh, that's no, I mean Hanzo's not Danaher's, but the John Danaher's classes, yeah. Speaking of John Danaher, do you think you'll be? Have you had a chance to go and train with him during this trip, or do you plan to go train with him during this trip? Yeah, I definitely want to go. So this time in America, we're probably not gonna make it, but I really, really want to go back there because um, I like doing the gi a lot. I've been doing it for so long, probably trained more gi, but nogi is where I feel really, really good. I feel like I compete better in nogi, and my my thing is pretty much anyone who's rolled with me for longer will be able to to testify to this that I roll way better with submission only rules because I'm I'm pretty impatient, and my reasons for doing jujitsu don't coincide well with points. So with points, I think I'm. I'm too easy to beat at the moment. I'm still working working on it, but I think in a sub-only type setting, I'm very, very hard to beat because uh, I have to go back a little bit and talk about how I got into jiu-jitsu. So I, I, I did judo in Slovenia for like seven years. I got my black belt when I was 16. I trained with the Slovenian national team. I trained with people who won Olympic medals, uh, including gold ones. It was cra- a crazy environment, but I was never I was never really good at it i won the best thing i did was i got second place at the nationals that was pretty much it and then they changed the rules of judo for the 11th time and i was like this is just this is just becoming some kind of weird game and i want to do a complete fighting sport and i watched some jiu-jitsu videos before and i watched a lot of mma and i wanted to test myself in mma so when when the when my training partners in judo just kind of disappeared as well, I said that's enough because I also realized I, I came to training once and I was looking at the clock and I was like, when is this going to be over? And then I was like, wait, what am I even doing here? If that's what I'm doing, mm-hmm. I, I there's no reason to keep going. I'm just going to try and do MMA. But at that time, there wasn't even a, a legitimate MMA team around. I, I started training in a team uh, where uh, Blue Belt was actually the coach and the, the atmosphere was so good 
it was really like everyone was super excited to learn even though there was just three classes a week i was just waiting for them so so much and yeah i went to the first time in my training i, I almost got knocked out there because it was it was a rough environment to train in but i didn't mind it too much so uh, I realized that they do jiu-jitsu primarily. So they, they focus on jiu-jitsu more than on MMA even. And when I started doing that, I was like, wait, so if I throw you, it doesn't mean too much. And then we roll for submissions? That is so cool. I want to I wanna do that. And then my first uh, white belt competition, actually, that I went to, I won uh, because I was just so focused and I was working really, really hard to be the best. And then when I when I realized I can actually do this, I, I switched to full-on jiu-jitsu pretty much. But the reason I went to jiu-jitsu is because I wanted a more complete fighting style. And then after a few years of doing both jiu-jitsu and MMA, I realized I'm going to get punched a lot if I continue doing MMA. And I have aspirations outside of jiu-jitsu that involve my mind, and I didn't, want, I didn't want that. I didn't feel it was worth it because in jiu-jitsu, I can try to go for the finish and not get punched in the head and get everything that I that I looked for when I got into it. So that's always been my focus, to fight for the submission, because that's the goal. So points are kind of a necessary evil for me, really, to, to be able to compete at a high level. So once I got the ability to do submission-only competitions, uh, that's, that's what I really went for. And, yeah, this was a really... <laughs> roundabout way to get to this point but yeah that's that's my philosophy of jiu-jitsu and why why i like rolling submission only and why i like a gym like Dan john danaher so much i have a question about your um about the way that you prepare for your events your mm -hmm. submission only events and the way that you prepare for just just training in general um one of the things that you talked about when um you spoke with jeff earlier this year on the yoga for bjj um show mm -hmm. um you talked about where it was mentioned that you do weightlifting mm -hmm. and that you do weightlift, you do you do do yoga, and you also mm -hmm. are training jujitsu. So you almost have like these three that you're yeah. kind of like that are always kind of spinning around They're each other, battling each other. Yeah. Yeah. So my my question is is that how do you um, like what's the ratio? Like how do you like mm. like when you're getting ready for a tournament, do you yeah. do more drilling and maybe less weightlifting, or do you focus like or, or if it's maintenance time, is it just yoga? The yeah, so it it depends a lot. Like right now, we're, we're, when we're traveling, it's very hard to get uh, cons consistency. So consistency is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. But let's say uh, if I uh, – I will probably be on the next Polaris car, not this one. And before that, I know I will do an actual camp. So I will stop the trip for a little bit and just focus on that because it's pretty much impossible to go everywhere and train. But let's say that I'm, that I'm uh, back in Ireland and how – I can describe how I prepared for the last Polaris. So, first of all, I would um, I would focus on training much more. So the other stuff that I do, I would kind of push it aside a little bit to to have the mental focus on training. And then I would train six times a week. Uh, Sundays I normally have off because I don't take any steroids and I never will. <laughs> despite the fact that a lot of the competition does it, but uh, I need one day. I need one day to, to recover and not do anything. And then my strength and conditioning coach got me really into HRV monitoring. So when I, when I wake up, I do heart rate variability testing, which is basically me putting on a heart rate monitor, uh, syncing it to my app. It measures the variability between your heart rate for three minutes. 
and then you get a that translated into a score from one to ten, and ten is like the perfect middle, and then you can go down to zero to one side and the other side. One is where your uh, sympathetic nervous system is overworking, and one is where your parasympathetic nervous system is overworking. And based on that score, I decide how hard am I going to go on that day. If I get a 10, I'm going to go balls to the wall. If I get a 5, I'm going to tone it down a little bit. If I get a 3, I will uh, probably not train and do more breathing exercises because that's a very good way of my body telling me that I might be overtrained. So that's the first thing. Based on that, I decide. And then I do weightlifting uh, two times a week normally, one once on Monday, once on Friday. On Monday, uh, my my coach prescribed me more um, like powerlifting stuff, so I would do heavy squats, deadlifts, any of that kind, and I really, really enjoyed that. So I love doing those things, plus the accessories that come with it. And on Fridays, it would be a similar thing, less weight, uh, and normally some rubber bands are involved or faster wraps. Uh, I mean, um, yeah. Less reps, but more sets, and it would be designed to uh, increase uh, explosiveness. So, uh, is everybody on board with the HRV? Because, I, like, what if you wake up one morning, yeah, and um, and you had planned, like, your coach was like, yeah. "Today's the day that we're going to be doing, you know, we're going balls to the wall." That's and that's the that's the most problematic thing, and sometimes it happened that we would have people coming in from elsewhere. And I would, I would have a very tough decision to make. So am I going to go or not? And sometimes I just go and train anyways. And other days I, I don't go because I, I learned the hard way what happens when I overtrain. Because I, I, I train really hard and if I get too far, I basically get sick. And I think it happens, it happens to a lot of people to, to train on that kind of level. Uh, but yeah, my, I, I would normally do the scheduled classes that we have, which are pretty tough. And if there was something like my coach specifically putting up a session for me, then I would go anyways, because jiu-jitsu people, we, we can't push through if we have to. But I, I know that then the next day, probably, I will have to have to do more to recover. And then, uh, yeah, jiu-jitsu, I would do at least one session a day. I, I now went more to one session a really, really hard session and then not doing another one. Or maybe the other one would be just drilling. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I, I was teaching classes as well, so I would, I would reserve my energy for that as well. And I feel like in two hours of a hard class, you can get pretty much anything, every, everything that you need, really. And then yoga and like mobility stuff. I, I like to do a lot of yoga. But we're talking about this with Sebastian quite a lot. So what happens is jiu-jitsu people, we do, we do really hard training. And then yoga, if you do vinyasa yoga, that's actually pretty tough. So mm-hmm. sometimes I come home and I feel like I'm just, just done. And we're trying to put out more classes now that are like slower flows or more, more static because people who train a lot are not able to keep doing vinyasa flows all the time. And yeah, this is this is a little bit of a plug. But on Yoga for BJ, we have a, a bunch of different types of classes, and you can choose ba- based on how you feel and how long you want to do it for. But I f- I think it's absolutely essential for me to to take care of my mobility because yeah, it's just so important. 
And this is a total plug, but I will say that like uh, the variability of the classes on yoga for BJJ is something that I really appreciate because I travel a lot for work. And the tired you get after getting off an airplane mm-hmm. is very different than the tired you get after mm-hmm. you've had like 10 hard rounds. Mm-hmm. And so having like some strong vinyasa flows and some like, all right, let's mm-hmm. chill and yeah. get our hips loose yeah. are both really helpful. One of my favorite parts of my job is that Sebastian is really uh, attentive to the recommendations that I'm, I make because... He's the one who records the classes, so he doesn't go on yoga for BJJ and then do his own class because he's a he's a professional yoga instructor. He can do whatever he wants, really. So, um, I take the responsibility of testing some of the classes myself. Pretty much every class I try to do, and uh, then go from there. And one of the ones that I recommended was uh, an SOS class after you had to sit for way too long in the car. Or on the plane, which which would be perfect for just clicking and then then doing that. Not not too hard, but like after I get off a plane, I like a vinyasa vinyasa class actually because it gets me moving. And especially if jet lag's involved, I really appreciate the, uh, that I that I start to sweat a little bit. That it's that it's hard because I feel that helps helps a lot. Yeah, but it's a battle. So when I train jujitsu for for two hours. and I do 30 minutes of yoga, I just barely took care of myself a little bit. So I try to include it more and more. And it's almost almost hard because I know that I should be doing like three hours of mobility or yoga a day, I feel like at least. And I just try to get at least an hour a day, no matter what happens. If If it's a heavy work day, if it's whatever it is, I try to get it. But knowing a lot of high level jiu jitsu people, I'm surprised by how many of them don't do anything really because they train so hard they get tired and then they don't they don't really do anything and in the long term that's that's pretty hard on the body it sounds like with your yoga and HRV like you you definitely have a, a plan and you're in your clean eating or mm-hmm. eating to smash people um, <laughs> you you definitely have a plan for longevity in, um, in yeah. this sport yeah I I mean I love jiu-jitsu so much that I want to do it forever. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want the day to come by when I'm like, I I just can't do this anymore. And before I started jiu-jitsu, first of all, I'm not a flexible person, anyways. Like genetically, I think I see more and more that some people are just more predisposed. Like some people's hips open up differently than other people's do. Some people's some people have general flexibility that's that's impressive and I almost envy them, but some people don't. And then through my years of judo we did a lot of really, really incredibly stupid training methods. Like I watched those same people that I talked about that got Olympic medals train and if if they if some coach from Jiu Jitsu that knows how to work with combat athletes, if they saw that they would probably flip out because it's it's beyond stupid in 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 most ways but it pro- it provides results and i think uh personally that a big part of that is the mental aspect um because those people are so ridiculously mentally tough and the mental aspect of the game especially in judo i think is so important that it overrides the bad the bad training methods. I would say that some of them are straight up bad, um, but yeah, I've, I I got into jiu-jitsu very inflexible, and I knew immediately. First of all, if I want to do all the moves, my mobility has to get better, 
And if I want to do this for longer, my mobility needs to get better. And then everything else comes with it. Balance, flexibility, breathing skills. It, it's it's really nice. And yeah, the the mental aspect too, just being mindful and meditation. When When I'm training hard, I make sure to write a journal and to meditate and stuff like that. Do anything that I can because on the day of the competition, you have to have a battle with yourself. So your doubts are going to creep up. Your everything is gonna is gonna come up if you if you slacked in one thing that can can lower your confidence and if you're thinking about other stuff than simply following your game plan and destroying the guy then that's that's problematic so for really really important competitions I make sure that everything is on point because when I go on on the mat I'm not doubting myself at all I I did everything that's humanly possible so if I lose in in 10 seconds which I never really do if I'm that prepared then I did everything that I could and yeah that's that's the most important part part of it every single time where I had a journal like a month leading up to the competition and I was and I uh, wrote down how how it will go that I will win that I will that I will not stop uh, getting better I will not stop on the day of competition going for the submission every single one of those I won and every time I tried to do that but I didn't actually do it it didn't go it didn't go my way Hey Jeff Shaw Yes Betsy O'Donovan I have a question for you I have an answer Will you be my Valentine as your husband, I believe I'm legally obligated to, but I would anyway. <laughs> so I was thinking about Valentine's this week because I was considering the eternal problem of what to get uh, as a gift for the jiu-jitsu practitioner in my life. And what did you come up with? Well, I was thinking about past gifts that have been amazing, and the one that came immediately to mind was the tatami mats that we put into our spare room. Yeah, a lot of my friends who are jiu-jitsu couples really love having those in their house, and so do I. They're super handy, too, for yoga, which is what I find them most useful for. But uh, I was thinking about that and other things that you can get at cageside.com, and what a useful resource that has been for me. So if you want to have something in your house that allows you to roll around with the one you love, definitely go to cageside.com or check out the Cageside Warehouse at 124 Lotta Road. <laughs> that sounds dirty. So you mentioned hard training and mental toughness, and you're no stranger to either of mm -hmm. those things. And I was wondering if you could tell us the story about how you were trying to, trying to uh, win the ADCC trials, and you pushed through a bit of adversity, maybe uh, maybe yeah. beyond what no, a normal person would. Yeah, I... It wasn't. It wasn't the ADCC trials. It was the Give version, the the Abu Dhabi trials. It was uh, 2013 in Warsaw, and I felt I felt really good. I was training there with um, what's now called uh, Berserkers Team Warsaw uh, under Radek Turek. I, I always love to give a shout out to him, and I say I say often that to me he's kind of like a Polish John Danaher because he he's an OG there and uh, really interesting person as well kind of quirky the way the way that John Danaher is in a sense so I was training there very good environment I felt really ready and I really really wanted to get a ticket to Abu Dhabi because there was no way I was gonna afford flying there on my own so I, I did my division and I won but the division doesn't matter the only thing that mattered on that day was the light absolute and I was a middleweight 
So I was right at the top of that division, and I, I did my first match against this Italian guy, and I took his back at some point, and I was working for the choke, and the way my feet were, they weren't crossed, because obviously I, I, I was warned what happens if you, if you cross your legs, but my feet were kind of uh, one on top of the other. And this guy somehow grabbed my feet, pushed them over, did the triangle over them, and then arched his hips in. And I just heard a giant pop. Pow! And then I, my, I, I immediately saw the referee who was standing above us. His, his jaw kind of dropped. And I opened my mouth to scream, but then I realized, like, if I scream, I'm not going to Abu Dhabi, because if you scream, that's a verbal <laughs> submission. So he... He, the guy who was doing this was also surprised. I think I didn't tap. And he went to Archie Sips again. And at that time, I pulled my, my foot out. And then I was like, you mother... Yeah. <laughs> I just... I grabbed the, the other collar to, to get the slack out of it. And I slid my arm out. And I, and I bow and arrowed the hell out of him. And I won. And then I was like, Okay, this is this is worry, worrying, and I started to walk around, and I was limping. I was limping a lot, and then I convinced myself that I have a sprained ankle now, and I and I taped it up, and I got ready for the next match, and uh, I actually fought my my friend Marcus Phelan, who whom I started training after in in Ireland. He he was much much lighter than me, and we. We started the match and I pulled guard, which I normally don't, but I couldn't stand, so <laughs> I had to. And he was he was passing my guard, and he kind of fell into a, a inverted triangle with my injured foot being the top one. So I didn't even have to go over that ankle, and he fell into it, and he tapped. And I was now only in the semifinals. I wasn't even in the finals yet. And I fought uh, a really good competitor from from the UK for six minutes. And um, I I lost the decision because I, I just hadn't I had I didn't have much left. But I I kept fighting until the end. And um, I went to the hospital after, and they told me I have a broken fibula. And I did probably a lot of not totally necessary damage to the ligaments around it when I, when I was fighting. But to be honest, it didn't feel it was a terrible, terrible injury. It took me like two months to get back on the competition mats. And I I used the time just to, to do other stuff. I I played Rome Total War and I, I won. <laughs> I, I conquered the whole world. And I, I studied a little bit, and I, I got a cast on the leg for for like a month, and I just wrote on it. It's it's the picture still in my Instagram somewhere. I wrote, I regret nothing on it, <laughs> and I really don't. Like I really don't regret anything about it. It's one of the one of the fondest memories I have: b- breaking my leg and not not tapping and actually winning. But it's it's not even the the only story where I suffered a a broken bone and kept fighting and winning as well. Is the other one when you were doing the sort of hybrid MMA tournament? Yeah, yeah, that one. That's another crazy one, and <clears throat> I, I can tell that one as well. It we started when we when we were in when I was back in Slovenia, blue belt. Those were those were really wild days because in the Balkans, the scene was so young, and it was like kind of probably what Brazil had to be back in the day. You know, the team teams weren't as connected yet. It was kind of like these guys know jujitsu. And these guys don't know so much, so we're not going to share it because it's proprietary information. They have to come come to us. There was a lot of that kind of style. So we we had this one competition in Croatia, and 
it was Nogi, and it was one of the longest competitions ever. It went on for so long, and I did my Nogi matches, and I won the Nogi tournament, and the plan was to do this kind of hybrid MMA match with uh, punches on the ground, kind of like combat jiu-jitsu now, but with actual gloves and punches. And I win my medal, the organizer tells me that the MMA is going to start. I'm like, did you say MMA? Because the rule said before, getting the takedown and then punching, that was perfect for me. But I, I didn't do much MMA at that point. He was like, yeah, MMA. I'm like, oh, okay, so we're going to do that. Cool. And once they called me for the medal, I don't even know how this is possible, but they said, first place medal, Mika Perhavitz. And then like 30 seconds later, first MMA match, this guy and Mika Perhavitz. I'm like, what the hell? So I went and I got the medal with one shin pad on and one glove on. And it was the match with, uh, you had the helmet as well. So I didn't have the time to wrap my hands. And I fought this guy that I've seen like, hovering around the entire day he was almost a caricature he had a neck tattoo a face tattoo and his nose was missing a lot of cartilage because apparently he was a boxing champion in in croatia so i go and i I fight him and i throw a sloppy overhand and i hit him with the side of my hand and i just break the the knuckle here you can actually still see the this here uh from when i when i broke that and yeah immediately i knew that that that's not too good and he, he landed a few punches and kicks on me that I didn't feel much of, but I took him down, and then he would get a guillotine, and my helmet would turn on my face. So now I was getting choked by, by the actual helmet, the leather there. So I couldn't get my head out or anything, and I lost the decision. But I was like, yeah, my thumb is, is sprained, but I have another MMA match. And I, I, I took the guy down, and I arm-triangled him. And then, then when I took everything off, I took the wrap off, and my hands started throbbing, and I realized it's probably, probably broken as well. But another, another fond experience. <laughs> yeah. The throb is never a good sign. Never. Once you feel the throb, you know you're effed for a while. <laughs> so what is your proud – like, you, you've competed a lot. You've done some no. MMA. You mentioned that you're not doing that anymore because of uh, other aspirations. But, mm-hmm. like, what, what do you think your proudest competition achievement so far is? Um – Oh, there's there's a few different ones. Um, one that's super fun in my memory is Rome Open. Uh, I got double gold there once, and I had some pretty amazing matches, in, especially in the absolute division. Well, one was against a friend of mine, Stas Warszawski, who's a huge, huge guy. He's I think now he fights at super ultra heavy, and I was fighting him, and he was thoroughly kicking my ass, and then. He passed to side control, and I got a baseball choke on him. And his his coach was screaming, "Don't pass, don't pass!" And he went to mount, and I turned, and in, this was in the last minute. I I baseball choked him to to win, and then I went to the final, and I fought another big German guy, and he was up on an advantage, but I I kind of jumped on a triangle, and I swear like it's like in the movies where they're counting down to when the bomb explodes it was the same thing two seconds before before the end he tapped and i won double gold for the first time in an ibjf competition as a middleweight too which which felt pretty good and then uh out of if i can say three one would be when i had my last amateur mma match this one wasn't but the level of competition wasn't this, the same at all but i agreed to do it because my team needed points two days before <laughs> 
and I used the time to drill running across the cage and kicking the guy right in the face. And this <laughs> this footage is on YouTube. I swear it's there. Uh, if, if you're gonna do a description for this, I can I can provide you with the link. But the match the the fight starts. I run over the ring and I hit the guy right in the face. It was like a running, flying stomp kick to the face. And I hit him and I immediately, he's like shocked. He bounces off the cage. I'm already on a double leg. And then I heel hooked him 10 seconds after that. That was one of the fondest memories just for how crazy that was. But probably my, my biggest competition achievement, actual achievement was uh, the last Polaris when I, when I fought the River Dillon, who's like super super well-respected, high-level competitor from the UK. And I think in the in the room and, like, everywhere, I think most people thought I was going to lose that match. And I was confident from even before it was signed that in, in those rules, in Nogi rules, I can take out pretty much anyone. And that's how it went. And it was also uh, a competition when I did the, the full preparation that I described earlier, and it paid off. And it was a fast win, too. So when I was when it was over, I was like, "Wow, I kind of can't believe that it it went exactly the way I planned." And it was it was my um, my proof that preparing hard and, and doing everything right works, and that that I am at a level that's that most people don't achieve normally. Yeah. Hey, Jeff Shaw. Yes, Betsy O'Donovan. You want to know the weirdest thing about traveling with you? Do I? You do. And here it is. It's that no matter where we are, you somehow always find a fellow jiu-jitsu practitioner. That's true. It may be my collection of dozens of Toro BJJ t-shirts. Or the ears. Yeah, the ears are also a dead giveaway. <laughs> um, so my favorite example of this might be when we were in Belize City uh, at the airport on our way back from our honeymoon. Do you remember? Absolutely. We were in the airport and I saw a guy wearing a Gracie University shirt and I came over because I was wearing a Toro BJJ shirt. And five minutes later, you were best friends. So if you want to make friends and influence people all over the world, go to ToroBJJ.com and get one of their three for $25 t-shirt deals or just one singular t-shirt, all of which will introduce you to foreigners wherever you go. Also makes it less awkward when you double leg them in the airport. We'll post some links to some of those uh, memorable <laughs> videos in the comments of the show, so you can check them out if you want. Yeah. And I wanted to return to the the road trip concept because I was I was want to ask high level practitioners advice for folks that are listening. Mm -hmm. Cause a lot of people who listen to the show are interested in getting better at jujitsu, but for those of us that are interested in getting better at traveling, mm. what have you learned things in this three months, or what advice would you give to like somebody who's sitting listening to this, thinking that sounds awesome, mm -hmm. I want to do it. What would you do differently? What advice would you give them? Um, yeah. What can you share? I would say. Don't do it exactly the way we do it because what I what happens is often, so th when I book tickets for San Francisco, right, I booked them six days in advance and that was kind of when I decided that we we're going to San Francisco. So I would say sit down and plan your trip beforehand, buy the tickets and buy the accommodation because it's going to be a little bit cheaper than than what we're doing at the moment, which is kind of planning just just kind of blowing in the wind and seeing where we go. But that that was something that I always wanted to, to do as well. So it's kind of on purpose. I wanted that type of movie thing where you're in an airport and you're like, where do I want to go? Mm -hmm. And you decide. But that that's not that's not smart. So at least we do a little bit of planning. But yeah, uh, my my biggest advice would be to 
to probably find the, the gym where you want to train and contact them in, a, in advance a little bit. I'm fortunate enough to know a lot of the people so I can just ask them and, and get in touch because it's, it's a little bit better than just showing up if you, if you announce yourself. And yeah, I, I'm a big fan of getting Airbnbs instead of uh, hotels or anything of the sort because they have kitchens that you can use normally and that is very very important in in staying healthy and having a good diet is the ability to to cook your own food like even even if you eat out a lot just cooking breakfast for yourself is is important because you you want to have a have a good meal and stuff and uh i have one tip that i feel pretty strongly about so if you're traveling through airports and you don't have any food on you and you're you're about to make the decision to go for airport food or even plane food, just don't do it. Like, have a fast. Fasting is awesome. There's a lot written about it. Just don't eat. Sometimes the, the longest fast I've ever done was three days, but one day I do pretty much regularly, just not eat for 24 hours. It's really good for your body, and it's far better than uh, eating some food that you, you know you shouldn't eat, especially when you're traveling. Like, that's when you have to avoid bad food, right? Or if you can, pack some food to to have with you. And, yeah, I'm a big, like I said, a big fan of Airbnbs because they're a little bit more... Um, you can find you can find one that's close to the gym, close to where you want to be, so that you don't have to drive around too much. And here in in America, we use Uber quite a bit just to be to be close. And then instead of going through the hassle of renting a car and having the responsibility for bring, of bringing it back in one piece, it's sometimes easier and also cheaper to just uh, to just Uber around or or even even walk. Um, the last the last thing that uh, that comes to mind is I've trained with in so many different gyms even before uh, traveling like this and I feel like in all of them I managed to get a to get a lot of friends and a good connection to everyone and uh, some tips for that would be to not ask too many questions right when you get in there or not try to try to talk talk too much at all and if you want people to like you and accept you and and if you want to get to the trainings, like maybe some competition trainings or stuff like that, the best thing you can do is show up every day. Every every gym I went to, uh, if you're there, like suffering, we, lo- we love this kind of suffering, but if you're there, quotation marks, suffering with the people every day, they will, they will respect you way more and you will get a a look into the side of the team that most people don't see if they're not from there because now I'm realizing this more and more this connection to your team and the the sense of uh, yeah, the sense of connection to it is is important and if you're traveling you miss out on that but you can get really close to it if you're just if you're just cool with people if you uh, I think especially in a gym like uh, Henzo's where there's a lot of almost secret information that people want I I, I don't know how people think it's a good idea to come in there and then go straight up to, to John or to Gary or to someone and be like, hey, uh, from the from the inside Ashi, would you sit, what would you do here to get to this position? Like, They're not going to tell you. Like, They don't want to tell you. You will find it out if you keep training and they do it on you anyway. So just be cool. That's, that's, that's my, my be a cool human if you can. <laughs> And that reminds me, you're invited to competition training at our gym Sunday, so oh, awesome. we can do that as yeah, well. Yeah, we can. And so we're really looking forward to training with you at the seminar mm-hmm. today, so I don't want to 
talk too much about that, but is there anything else, uh, Lourdes, that you have that you feel like is a burning issue to talk to Miha about? No, I'm just really super excited to go to the, to the seminar and to learn all your secrets. If I'm quiet and I sit close, <laughs> maybe you'll tell, you'll give me the inside information. Yeah, oh, the seminars are different. Seminar, you get the, the premium stuff. And today I plan on, I plan on showing the stuff that works well for me because I, I feel like now I'm at a point where I can get some techniques that work on damn near everyone, even the top competitors, if they're applied properly. And I want to share those techniques that are more unique to me, not something that I would see somewhere and then drill it and then use it, but something that I kind of try to develop. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I just want to get a private lesson about kombucha selection. Mm. But th- is, there anything, <laughs> is there anything we haven't asked about that you really wish we would have asked about or anything that you think the folks should know mm. about you or about your projects that maybe they don't? Mm. Yeah, no, not really. Like if you want to see more about uh, the trip that we're on and the way they w- the way we are going about it probably my instagram account is the the best the best place to find that information i also have a page on uh, facebook Micha perhavets bjj where where i post some of the stuff generally i'm really bad at marketing myself and yeah i would i would tell people to check out yoga for bjj as well because without like it's obvious it's an obvious plug but I feel confident in saying it because I do all the videos and I, I stand behind them and I know the kind of uh, the kind of testimonials we get from people what it does from for them and we have a free trial so you can you can try it without giving us money so I would I would definitely recommend that and yeah my friends uh, Keenan and Kit have some awesome products so you, you should check out Keenan online and kitdaletraining.com if you if you're into that kind of stuff, I th- I learned a lot of a lot of great tips from from those two websites as well. We'll put links to many of those things in the comments for this show. And for now, I just want to say, Mia, thank you so much for coming by. Best of luck yeah. with all your projects. Thank and have you. Have a blast on your road trip. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah.